Welcome to A Love Like This. I'm Abby, I'm Paige, and we're so glad that you're here. We all face problems, both big and small, but having faith shines a whole new light on finding the right solutions. As we sit down each week with some incredible guests, our hope is that you would be encouraged to take heart in the troubles of the world and to put faith over everything. Hey there, folks. Well, the end is near, but don't fear. I Love Like This will be back in early 2022. Despite this being the last official episode of A Love Like This season three, next week we will have a quick little season recap for those that are interested in listening. This week though, we thought we would bring everything back full circle to the start of the season. The twins and I headed over to the lovely pastors of our church, Carol and Jack Haynes' home. Abby and Paige had an incredible conversation with Pastor Carol about the unknowingness of faith, what to do if you're feeling like you're amongst the unknown and how to navigate those seasons through Christ. And lastly, ventured through Pastor Carol's own moments of mystery. The best part, this season started with a fantastic interview with Pastor Jack. And now here we are. Enjoy this incredible episode and season finale of A Love Like This. Thanks, Pastor Carol, for letting us come into your home and record this episode. <laughs> you are very welcome. Oh, well, we're so excited to have you on. So I think the first like place that we should start is if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about you and your family. Okay. My, you have such a beautiful family. Well, like my immediate family here or my yeah. family history. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, wherever you feel your, your heart is telling you. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, um, of course, I'm married to Jack, who you interviewed um, some weeks ago. And uh, we've been married, uh, gosh, is it 46 years now? And uh, we met in Tacoma, Washington, when uh, he was a soldier in the United States Army. We met at church. I was at church, and he saw me in the choir. And um, it's not a very big church. You know, you couldn't miss a guy like that coming in. (laughs) But I was trying to focus my mind in other directions and, and not on him. And I went and said hello like you do to anybody new. And um, and then my best friend and her sister, they took him home for Sunday dinner, which is like what you do, you know, when somebody's visiting, you take him home for dinner. And him being a soldier, you especially would want to do that. And so then he came back the next week, and um, we, I, I said hello to him, certainly <laughs> noticed him. And they took him home for dinner again. And I thought, oh, okay, well, he's, you know, he's got an interest in my friend or her yeah, sister yeah. or something like that. And, and so the thing was, you know, actually he was wondering when I was going to, Pay some attention to it. <laughs> so anyhow, we um, became really good friends, and from uh, friendship developed something more that we finally had to admit that it was something more than that. I was very young, and I was just finishing up an associate's degree, and um, we we became engaged uh, when I was um, nineteen. Yeah, and then he had orders for overseas, and uh, he went to uh, Germany. And we were going to wait till he finished those orders to get married. But we decided, nah, let's just let's just do it. <laughs> Midway through, I'd finished my degree and he just came back for me. And we uh, went and lived the first nine months of our married life in Germany. And that was just so fun. Wow. Absolutely. Um, it was really good. It was really good for both of us because there was a lot of growing up to do, being yeah. so young, and to just not be with mom and dad or anything else, just having to, you know, work things out, depend on Jesus, um, you know, read the word. What does the Bible say about this? Because I've got this problem, you know, and 
it just really helped us. And so then um, after orders uh, finished, he finished the army, we moved to Yuma, Arizona, where he was from. I'd never even been in the Southwest. It was a real big change for me. Um, and there we became associated uh, with Mount Zion Church and Pastor Messer, who sent us here to Australia. Uh, all our children were born in Yuma. And so when we uh, came to Australia, Stephen was just seven, Crystal was four, almost five, and Joelle was like our little Michaela that you saw on the weekend. <laughs> she was like that, 17 months old. And so all our children are still here with us in Australia. They're all married, and uh, Dave and Joelle have five of our grandchildren. Uh, our son Stephen has a new baby girl, and uh, then Carissa is married as well, but no children yet. We just, you know, that's going <laughs> to <Wait happen>. see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's our immediate family, and that's in a kind of a nutshell how we got here and, and all those kind of stories. Yeah. So, Pastor Carol, obviously you love God. You're a pastor. How did your faith journey begin? How did you come to know God? Oh, okay. Well, I wasn't raised in a um, Christian family. I wouldn't say I was raised in a godless family. I mean, like a lot of people, they have a uh, a respect for God or had some association with church in the past, maybe family members or whatever. I know um, my mother's family had a, had a break with the church early, uh, actually before she was born. Um, which is kind of sad, but there was not a disrespect for God. It was just mm. some hurts in their heart. Um, and my father's family was a, a mix of things, but, you know, he did attend church sometimes in his youth, but we were not raised in church. And uh, so not disrespectful of God. Um, every now and then, if it was some important moment, you know, uh, somebody would say a prayer, but it, it just like it didn't happen. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. just wasn't raised that way. But I had a... Um, I just ha always had a curiosity about the things of God. And after I did come to the Lord, um, my mom told me this story because she just thought it was very meaningful. Um, and I had never heard it. But when she saw that I had come to real genuine faith in Jesus, she told me of the story that uh, when I was an infant and um, there was a Baptist church that was not too far from where my family lived in Minnesota. This was is where I was born. And they would send my brothers to the Sunday school, uh, but never attended church. And so uh, in those days, a lot of churches would, uh, you know, go around the neighborhood and say, we have a Sunday school, would you like to send your children? And, and you wouldn't do that in these days. You wouldn't send your children off someplace without being there yourself. But it was a, a more innocent time, and um, and you could trust people in that way. And so my brothers attended the Sunday school, but my family never attended. But they had came with the news that mom had a baby, and um, and there's quite a space. My brothers were 12 and 9 years old when I was born, so they're of an age that they could tell that kind of news. So the good ladies of the church came around to visit my mom and to congratulate her on having a new baby and try to encourage the family to come to church. And my mom was polite to them, but, you know, made no kind of commitment. She'd do that. And they said, well, could we um, pray for your daughter before we leave? And so I don't obviously know the exact circumstances. I think they picked me up and, and they prayed over me and they asked that God would um, protect me and that he, he would lead me to himself, that I would come to know him personally and um, just prayed that kind of a prayer over me, which is kind of a remarkable thing when you think about it, that they set in motion something that God began to do in my life. So 
um, very young. I had a curiosity. I was a very shy child. Um, then there was this little little church in our neighborhood uh, that was, you know, it would seat maybe 50 people. It was a very tiny little church with a little building, but the members of the congregation were always reaching out in the neighborhood again to the children. And so my mom said, would you like to go to that? And I was like six years old and they had this special vacation Bible school going on. And so I went and that's the first time I ever heard about the gospel. And I heard about Jesus and they told me I didn't have to be afraid in the dark because Jesus is the light of the world. (laughs) And anytime I felt afraid, I could just pray. And that's such a simple truth. But it just came into my heart, and I thought, oh, you know, I remember that. And so later on through the years when we lived in that that neighborhood, um, I would attend their Sunday school, and I could say there were some very genuine um, touches of the Holy Spirit over my life, but I hadn't come to full faith in the Lord. But I did have an acquaintance with the things of God. I had a an understanding of what He felt like when, when He touched your heart. You know, it, there's something very tangible when you know the Spirit of the Lord is touching your heart. So um, that was in my my understanding, but it was not until I was almost 16 years old and I had sort of gone in another direction than like a lot of kids do. And um, I was hanging with a crowd that were a little bit older than me and so accessible to things that necessarily at 15, 16 years old, you can't, but, you know, boys with cars and people with money and things that you can do. And uh, I had a friend who, um, his name was Bob, and we had gone through every school together. We lived fairly in the same neighborhood, and we'd been through primary school and middle school and high school. And um, I had known him all my school years. And he would disappear every now and then because he... um, he was always getting into trouble, so he'd go into juvenile detention, and you wouldn't see Bob for a while, and he'd, you know, then a month later he'd appear again, and he'd be back at school. And so Bob had one of those disappearing seasons, and I hadn't seen him for a while. And um, I was then at high school, and I it was quite a ways from where I lived, and so I'd have to uh, go downtown, do the bus system, transfer buses, walk up the hill a bit, catch another bus, and eventually come home. And so I was in the process of doing that one day, and he was out on the street corner, and he had this stack of uh, newspapers in his hand that were like Jesus people newspapers. They were, you know, tools to share the gospel, but they were about this movement called the Jesus people, and it was just a grassroots uh, movement of uh, hippie-type people, I would say, you know, um, that had found Jesus and dramatically had their lives changed, but were very, so much still very alternate in uh, their lifestyles, um, but genuinely saved. And he had uh, found them or they found him and uh, he gave his heart to Jesus and he was completely changed. And uh, he wanted me to know that and he wanted to invite me to a coffee house that he was um, a part of that group was supporting that coffee house and they'd have like bands in and speakers and so forth. And um, again, if you can think early 1970s, late 60s, hippie culture, that's all in the history books for your age. <laughs> but that was my, that was my era. And so a coffee house and, and a folk kind of band, folk rock type thing, long hair, long dresses, <laughs> hippie beads, you know, bare feet in summer. Really, that was it. That that kind of attracted me. And though I was in school, I hadn't dropped out of school, anything like that. 
um, I, I've kind of identified with that crowd. My kids say sometimes the way I dress even today is like it's the old, <laughs> it's the old hippie coming out. <laughs> but anyway, I said to Bob, I'll come, I'll come. And so, um, of course, I had to get my older friends that had cars so I could get there. And so I brought them too. That we all went. And uh, it was in this old very old building that um, had at one time been like a department store and and now it was being used as this coffee house and a church on Sunday. And so it wasn't in the best shape or the best part of town, but there it was. And so I went there that night and I could tell you the moment I put my hand on the doorknob to just go in that building, I just felt something. I, I just tingles through my body and I just began to cry. You know, I just and I couldn't understand why I felt like that. I really couldn't. And so I um, came inside and was my friends and we found a table and I kept crying. And I said, I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> I, can't, I don't understand why I'm crying. <laughs> yeah. um, and of course, we know that that was the Spirit of God moving on my heart. That was, this is it. We're going we're gonna to come through here. And so uh, I listened to the band that night and enjoyed the music. And then um, someone came up and shared the gospel and said, if anybody would like to give their heart to Jesus tonight, leave your seat, come down here to the front, and let's pray with you. And I, you just didn't have to push me. I didn't hesitate. I didn't think, oh, I don't know if I can do that or what will all my friends think that are here with me. I just like, I'm going. <laughs> I just did. I just went. And um, that's where I gave my heart to Jesus totally, completely. You know, I didn't know hardly anything, uh, you know, about theology. I didn't know anything about anything except my little Sunday school experiences in the past. But that's when I began my walk with the Lord. And he just met me in the most amazing, wonderful way. So many things happened that were just wonderful. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank Stonebreaker Lawyers and the Friendship Center for sponsoring numerous episodes this season of A Love Like This. Again, the show will be back in early 2022. And so if you want to stay up to date, head over to alovelikethis.info and join our mailing list. Take care. Wow, that's amazing. And then weren't you baptized soon after that? Oh, very soon. Was it? Yeah, I remember hearing about it. <laughs> like, okay, so it was like Saturday night at the coffee house. And so then they, they said, okay, tomorrow morning um, we're going to go down to um, Owens Beach, which was, uh, this is Puget Sound, Tacoma, Washington. So it's the ocean, but it, it's, you know, it's like in a, an inlet kind of a sound. So it wasn't big crashing waves, but it's definitely cold ocean water. And um, this was January, which, you know, Northern Hemisphere, height of winter or depth of winter. And uh, and it was lightly snowing. And um, so <laughs> we were told to bring a change of clothes. And they, I had to had a towel and they had like army blankets, wool blankets and that kind of thing there to try to help people after they got out of the water. And so I'm standing on the beach and um, the, the two leaders that were doing the baptism were out there in that cold water, and I was pitying them, you know. And they were in up to, you know, waist, just above waist deep because you have to be a certain depth to be able to put someone in the water for baptism. And while I was watching it, and I'm just freezing cold standing there, I could just see them. Like, are my eyes playing tricks on me or something like that? But there was like this, like this glow around them. 
And and uh, somebody said, oh, I think that's the Spirit of the Lord because they could see it too. And so then when it was my turn to go, I you know trudged out into the water there and they met me there. And it was like I wasn't cold. It was really strange that that icy cold water wasn't cold. And so I was baptized. It was a beautiful moment. And then when I came up out of those waters and back to the um, beach, which is a, a rocky beach, I stood there in my bare feet in my soaking blue jeans, dripping wet, and I wasn't cold. And someone put a big wool blanket around me. I said, oh, give it to someone else. I'm really okay. It was just, it was a miracle. You know, I mean, we should have got hypothermia. We should have got sick. We should have had all kinds of things happen to us. But didn't. It was just God being there with us. I love that story. That's amazing. And it's very meaningful. Wow. Well, I love this next question because I'm excited to hear your answer to it. But why do you love living with Jesus? Why do I love living with Jesus? Well, uh, it's been my whole life now. And I can't think of any other way I'd want to, you know. Um, We've said so many times through our life, and even particularly these last two years, they've been so hard for the whole world with the COVID situation, the whole world. Like I've never in my lifetime, um, my parents were born during World War One, and they you know, got married during World War Two, and I have no knowledge of those days, and I'm sure that those were hard. But for me, these have been some of the hardest years, and um, we've been very blessed in Australia compared to many parts of the world, but it's been emotionally hard, emotionally tough, mentally tough. um, And all those psychological things that have been issues for all of us, we've all shared it. Um, Many times I've just shook my head and said, what do people do without Jesus? You know, and he's, he's not a a crutch as some people would say, you know, religion is a crutch or your Jesus is a crutch to lean on. Well, we need something to lean on, you know, who we absolutely do. Who is all self-sufficient? Who is all totally capable? And and when you're up against powerful things like we've faced, how do you face that life on your own? But you can be solid. You can be capable. You can be made strong because of the Spirit of the Lord who's within you. And uh, I just think to um, to know Him, to to live under his strength and his grace and his power um, and to love him and to be loved by him. You know, our, our God loves us. He deeply loves us. He's not mad at us. And it's, and it's just so good to know that, that, you know, he's not a God that we fear in the way of his anger, but we fear in the way of we respect him and, and we're in awe of him. But to be loved by him and to love him is the greatest privilege, to know him, to hear him speak, to know his voice, to know his guidance over our lives and direction. How many times have I sought God for the answer and the way we should go, and then he gives us the answer, and it's amazing. So, I mean, I could keep going. No, it's but, true, yeah. But, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Well, I kind of speaking about you saying that about, you know, not knowing the directions and stuff like that. I'd love for you just to touch on the story about how you and Pastor Jack ended up here in Penrith. Oh my. <laughs> All the way from Arizona. And I guess because I feel like hearing that story is is it's got to do with a lot of unknowns. Like I can imagine that season for you guys was super like you had no idea what was to come, but you knew that God, you know, had a way for you guys there. So um yeah, maybe if you could just talk about that season of the unknown and then talking about why it's important to go through those seasons of the unknown. Yeah. Okay. Well, you probably want to edit all because it's going to be a long (laughs) time to to tell you the story. I'll try to, I'll try to be brief. 
Um, I'd like to answer your second question first, though, because um, to go through seasons of unknown helps us to understand how we are not self-sufficient. We are not enough in ourselves. Um, It's a humbling thing to realize I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the ways to do what we do. And that's exactly where we need to live is in a place of humility um, before God and before man. And to to live with the, the mystery of what we don't know, to be able to acknowledge what I am not is a wonderful thing. Because then you can begin to know where God's um, grace is so greatly needed in your life, and His strength is so much needed. Also, um, where I need to be stretched or grow, because if if it is something that God's put in your hand to, um, you know, like come to Australia and, and start a church, well, that's a big stretch. And so that kind of unknowing is absolutely essential for growth in life. And you have to just realize, I don't know what I don't know. And then when when I don't know something, that's where I need to learn and grow and get help and get grace and all those things. So um, coming here, I guess, you know, for your listeners, I'm going to um, assume that they they are believers in, in God. Because if if you're not, if there's someone listening today that's not, this might sound really crazy to you. It might sound like, oh, she hears voices or people see things or whatever like that. But God does speak to people. He speaks to human beings. He speaks to us in many ways. And uh, it could be something that's quite subjective. And so it's always something to also have wise people in your life that counsel you and, and guide you and so forth. But God can speak to us in our hearts like a, a voice within us, and we'll hear He'll speak to us always through His Word. You can be sure of that, reading His Word, and not just in the wonderful spiritual truths that are there, but something will just come that you go, oh, that's a word from my life. God will speak to us in dreams. He'll speak to us in visions. He speaks to us through prophetic word. He speaks to us in prayer. Uh, he'll speak to us uh, through wise leaders in our lives, and that is, in particular, our situation. So um, ever since we had um, come back to Arizona after Jack's uh, time in the military and we started life there, we felt a call of God on our life, not only for full-time Christian ministry, but possibly not in the United States, willing to go somewhere to do something for God. Um, But we were also contented to stay wherever He wanted us to be as long as we needed to be there because He knew, you know, if the time was right, when the— Time was right, but we felt that that would happen in our lives. So we always had ourselves in a uh, position financially to be ready if if the call came on our life to go. Uh, never lived with a lot of debt. Um, the only thing that we'd be indebted to was um, having a mortgage, so we'd have a house that we could sell. Uh, even our cars, um, we just drove very modest vehicles and paid cash, and you know that's where we were. So we were in that situation, and we had um, actually just tried to simplify our life and make more time for our young family by moving one minute from the church. So we had just moved into a a house that was um, an older house, and it needed some renovation, and we fixed it up really nice and um, put, you know, new everything in there, new carpets, new countertops, new floors, uh, curtains, you know, and paint. We just 
fixed it all up and thought, this is perfect. Jack can come home for lunch and have an hour with the kids and then go back because he was very busy on staff at the church. And um, we had lived where we'd lived previously. They wouldn't even see him for part of the week. It was just late hours and long days. So there we were. We were settled uh, yet ready. You know, I don't know how to say that. We were content to be where we were. And actually quite happy with our home and our new baby, Joe. And she was, you know, about four months old when we moved into the house there. And then Pastor Masser and his wife, Noel, and Noel's gone home to be with Jesus now. But she was a woman who prayed often and, um, you know, heard from God. And she was in prayer one day and she had an open vision where, you know, open vision is like, you see something, it's like as real as when you're dreaming, how real something is when you're in a dream, but you know you're actually awake and you're seeing this, the thing. And so she's praying and she saw a map of Australia. She was like over above it and could see the shape of Australia. And, and you know, I'm, I'm really apologetic to Australians, but North Americans don't know a lot about Australia, except there's kangaroos and, you know, not, not even sure where that is on the map. And that was my case, yeah. you know, like, I think I have to look that up on a map somewhere. I'll go to the library because there was no internet. And um, so he, she saw the map of Australia and then she, then the vision changed and she was down on the ground with a group of people who were holding baskets in their arms and they were looking up to the skies and just very gently, there were these babies falling from the sky and people were moving under the the babies to catch them, you know, so it was like slow motion. And so they would move there and they could catch the baby and put it to safely landing. And then they'd catch another one. And um, that was kind of like, that's unusual. So she said, Holy Spirit, what is that? What am I seeing? And and he said to her, get your basket and go to Australia for what I'm going to do in that land. And so new babies, of course, um, meant to her salvations, new Christians, new believers. And so she brought that vision to her husband, Pastor Messer, and said, what do we do with this? You know, what do we, what does God mean? Who, uh, we're supposed to do something in Australia. What does that mean? And so they prayed it through and they felt like we need to send someone there to plant a church and get ready for whatever God wants to do in the, that nation. Be in position, have your basket ready. So, um, unbeknownst to us, this was all going on in the background. And mean, meanwhile, while this was going on, Jack was actually on a um, a missions trip, a three-week missions trip to uh, Africa. And he was out um, with a missionary there, and he was going into uh, different remote areas and so forth. And he was thinking, you know, I wonder if God's calling us here. And <laughs> he come back telling me stories about how the— uh, women don't ever put their babies on the ground till they're like three years old. And there's, you know, the snakes and the cobras and let alone the lions and uh-huh. uh, hyenas and, and other <laughs> things. And, and, um, and he said, and they really need someone on the missionary outpost. They're looking for people to come. And, and we were even asked, you know, would we, and I thought, oh my Lord in heaven, I've got a new baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't put her on the ground till she's three. So a lion doesn't eat her. Like it was way too much, <laughs> way too much for me. And so I thought, okay, well, he's not asking us that yet. So I'll just, <laughs> he'll give me grace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, uh, it was a couple weeks later, Pastor Jack uh, went out for coffee with uh, Pastor Messer, and uh, he said, you know, there's something, you know, has happened uh, in prayer. Knowles had a vision, and uh, he 
uh, didn't say Australia at that point, but uh, he was saying, we want to know if you and Carol would be willing to go and plant a church for us in, and he had that ah syllable, <laughs> a syllable, uh, and Jack was going to, thinking he's going to say Africa, here uh, it comes. And he said, Australia. And Jack thought, Australia? Like, that is just right out of, like, what do I know about yeah. Australia? Like, do they need, do they need us? <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was, that was really, um, yeah, talk about the unknown. That was an unknown. So really quick, we educated ourselves on Australia. And uh, and then we began the process, guys, because we needed to have some things happen for us to be able to go. The, the biggest thing was that Australia would let us come. That's just the number one big thing. Forget, you know, do you want to go and can you get the money to, to go? It's can we go there? So that was a real miracle for us. And uh, we had begun the process and had um, requested to come with uh, resident, resident visas, permanent resident visas, and not just a work visa, which is a lot of people can get to work and stay for like two years. And we thought, we, we won't get anything done in two years uh, if we do, and then we have to leave. Well, you know, it's all for nothing, really, because then we've come and we've gone. And um, I found out later when we were here that that has happened to a lot of people that felt they should come to Australia, whether they were from the UK or the US or wherever, and then they had to leave. And uh, Australians had got a little bit cynical about that as to whether you're going to stay, you know. So I learned that later, but we had felt that we wanted to get the permanent reservation visas because we were we were going to cash in everything sell our home sell our cars the furniture just everything and and just come so we wanted to know that if we we're going to do all that we could maybe stay so um in betwixt all that we got our first uh saying our first uh, application was rejected and um so we thought okay well god you know if you're in this um definitely you've got to make this happen so on um, waiting for the second application, uh, Jack had come here, Pastor Messer and some of the other men from the church, and uh, this was April of 87, and they began to just visit all ends of Sydney. They went, um, you know, on the train as far north and as south as you could come is what was called Sydney. Um, getting the idea that we should come to Sydney was part of the prayer as well, was that, that that's kind of the gateway to to Australia. So um, that was Sydney, but then none of us had come from a town of 50,000 people. So we had no idea how big Sydney is. And that was just overwhelming. Like even when they're flying in on the air, airplane before it landed, went, oh Lord, how are we going to know? <laughs> you know, because as far as they could see was city and it's bigger now, but heck then it was big enough. And so um, as the, the more that they came out West, the more they sensed the Spirit of God on that, that we should be out west. They loved the north. North Sydney was beautiful. <laughs> Looked like San Diego. And yeah. nice houses and beach, and it was just gorgeous. And the south was nice, too. And, and uh, the center was kind of busy, and we didn't know what we could do there. But coming out west, they just thought, this is where all the, the people actually live. This is the working-class people. This is where neighborhoods are. And uh, so they came all the way out. Um, I think they went as far as Emu Plains, and that then their plane or their uh, train ticket in those days, which was a Rover ticket, uh, it finished. That's as far as they could go. So they came back to Penrith, and they just felt really good about Penrith. And so they ended up at the Panthers Leagues Club, not knowing what a leagues club is or who the Panthers are. And um, they they thought, you know, I think this this is where we should 
we should go. And so they um, asked somebody, they thought they were in a shopping center because back then <laughs> that's how the foyer of the Panthers looked like. And they went to the desk and they said, we're, um, uh, they, oh, they called a realtor and said, is there a place that, you know, we could maybe do a meeting like a hall or something we could rent? And, and this realtor had said, why don't you consider the Panthers Leagues Club? So they're at the Leagues Club and they go to the, the desk to ask the lady, where, where's the Panthers Leagues Club? <laughs> they're in the Panthers Leagues Club. So they made a booking, made a reservation. Um, God confirmed to us as well through um, like a, a, a meeting with a, a man of God who uh, asked, where do you think you're going to plant the church? And God had said to them, to him, tell those men Penrith. And, but he didn't want to tell them that because he, he felt like that's just a little bit too forward to do that. And when they said, we think God's telling us Penrith, then he, he said to them, I, that's what God told me to tell you too. So um, Penrith it is, and Penrith it was, and Penrith it is, it still is, you know, 34 plus years now later. So I remember the phone call when uh, Noel, Sister Noel, um, phoned me, and she she had she comes from West Virginia, so she has this accent, you know, so I, I can try to sound like her. <laughs> and um, she said, um, Tom called me, and the town that you're going to go to is called Penrith. And I said, Penrith, can you, can you spell that for me? I've never heard a word like that, you know. <laughs> and she said, P-E-N-R-I-T-H. And I wrote that on a piece of paper, and I put that on my fridge and went, that's where I'm going. That's going to be my home. So we had to have a few more miracles before uh, we could come. So we, um, on our second uh, request, this time we had met people here. And so we had a backing of, of the Assemblies of God, which is now called ACC, that said, these are, you know, we've met these people. They're good people. They want to plant a church in Western Sydney. Um, our movement needs more churches in Western Sydney, the growing population. Would you please consider their um, request for residency? And that second go, they said, okay, like there was no other thing that had to, to be done, which, you know, when you get a flat no, and then you get, okay, well, I, that, when I got that, okay, I, I, I you know, cause there's always this, like, um, as willing as I was to come and knew that God had a call on our life, there's still that, oh, can I leave this family and friends in this nice house and this beautiful community of believers? And so there was this little thing like, you know, if, if it is a no, then maybe I, I'm off the hook right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when that came back that it was a yes, I thought, okay, this is it. You know, everything, all my emotions, all my thoughts about leaving America, that all that has just got to go in one direction. And that is God's will for me as Penrith. So um, we had to sell our house, which was, um, you know, we'd not been in it long, so we didn't have much equity. And um, we had to get a quick turnaround on that. So we did. And um, and then the church needed to raise a, a sum of money to send us so that we could get our airplane tickets for a family of five, um, two crates full of possessions we came with, and, um, and then just some setup costs for us a first month's uh, rent for a house, uh, a vehicle, um, uh, major appliances, and like a washing machine, dryer, um, and then rental for uh, to start a crusade. So it was quite a sum of money, you know, to get us out here. And the church just come to it, and, and the money was raised. So we had our miracles, and so we just had to come. <laughs> 
So we uh, arrived here the third week of August in 1987, and uh, we were the last people through the airport, like the airport closed. <laughs> it was already closed. And we had, because we were being processed for immigration, I still have a, a photo. I put it on Facebook some years ago of my stamp and my passport that, that said, you know, resident accepted wow. for entry into Australia. <laughs> mm. It's like a little treasure to me. Look at that thing. That was, that's God's stamp of approval. <laughs> and anytime... Uh, you know, we've had a hard time, especially in the early years, we've had hard times. I'd say it's a miracle we're here. It's an absolute miracle that we are here because they just don't give resident visas to everybody and they don't give them so quickly and all of us. And of course, we're all citizens now as well. But um, that was just something that was an affirmation or a confirmation on my life that we're supposed to be here. So, um, yeah, and then Penrith, and we started, and we started in the Leagues Club, and we met in the Leagues Club for over a year, and then we've moved around to different locations, and finally it's a miracle where we are here. There's, that's another miracle. So, yeah, we serve a God of miracles. I and- know. Oh, my gosh, we sure do. Well, we love being a part of um, imaginations now. So just to hear the story behind how it all came to be is just so beautiful. Um, Pastor Carol, we asked this question to all of our guests, but what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, <laughs> we did a women's event on that some years ago. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah, we did actually, because it's, it is quite a question to ask. And the more years you live, I think there's a lot of different answers you could have. You know, which younger self would I talk to? Would I talk to my teenage self? Would I talk to my newly married self, the young mother, the middle-aged self? You know, there's a lot of younger selves now. Um, The empty nest self, (laughs) the grandparent, (laughs) that's not too far in the the past. To your younger self, I think I I would probably talk about the, the person who's in the early 20s kind of younger self would be one that I would aim at because it was an age of working through insecurities, um, lots of insecurities. When you really get out there and start doing life now, you're not just a school kid and living with mom and dad, but you're actually doing life for yourself, then all these things come to the surface. You know, there's no mummy to run home to. There's no someone there to just... Um, calm all your concerns and tell you you're the most wonderful little girl on the earth. No, you're a woman and you're out there living life and now you have to face it. And there would, um, you know, I would be very concerned if someone didn't like me or if I had a conflict in the workplace or something like that, like that could just take me out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to have some years perspective on it. And I still... I still want to be liked, but it, it it wouldn't kill me. And so you just have to realize that you're not going to make everybody happy. That's not your goal in life, to make everybody happy. My goal in life is to please God and to, to live the best life I can before Him and 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 try to live it with the best attitude and, and make relationships as good as we can make them. But some of them aren't going to work, and you got to be okay with that. It's not the end of the world. We'll close with this question, Pastor Carol. We'll <laughs> <laughs> usually be doing that other order. Um, but just quickly, what would you say to someone who is struggling to see through th- the season of unknown? Like someone's in a season where they're like sort of questioning, like, where is God taking me? Where does he want me to go? Who does he want me to end up with? Just sort of in that season of just that unknowingness, like what would you say to that person? Oh, goodness. That is, um, I, it's something that I think we all go through for different reasons and different times in our life. 
I think you just have to keep going one foot in front of the other, one step at a time with the last good direction that you had from God. Because sometimes he's he's not speaking um, as often as you wish he would. You know, it's like, hold my hand and tell me the next thing. And and he doesn't. And so he's quiet. He's quiet. <laughs> yeah. So you just have to keep doing the last thing you knew to do. Um, always the Word of God is such a good guidebook uh, for our lives. It's such a, the compass for our life. It's really the Word of God is our true north. And so just dig into the Word of God and, and just make sure that you're doing everything, you know, that you know you should to be able to hear Him, to be guided by Him, um, to be sensitive to His Spirit. Um, sometimes it is a time for introspection and some good self-checks and checkups, but also not to be afraid, you know. When I think about the history of Israel and hundreds of years without a word from God as a people, when you look at the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's hundreds of years that God didn't speak to them, and they just kept going on what they had. And they did Roman occupation by then. They had all kinds of other things. And then suddenly, we're coming up to Christmas here, suddenly the Word of God Himself comes on the scene. Jesus Christ comes to earth. And now there's angels in heaven and you know talking to shepherds. And, and there's amazing, miraculous things happening. And it was silence for so long. And yet the greatest, most amazing thing that's ever happened to planet Earth happened after a period of silence. So in seasons of unknown, Just keep going. Keep doing what you already know to do and trust God. A huge thank you to Pastor Carol for coming on this show this week and an even bigger thanks for welcoming us into your home. Both Pastor Carol and Pastor Jack are a blessing in our lives and the lives of so many others. If you're in a season of unknowingness, we hope you took something away from this episode. Always look towards and trust in God. Take care and have a very Merry Christmas.